Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. We continue our conversation with Julie Sedler, author of her new book, Watch Me, available on Amazon. Julie gets into the importance of knowing your why. When you know your why, you can live with more focus and intention. She also gets honest about the marriage she was in that was not working and her desire to be in a healthy relationship. She realized that she wanted to be herself and not just be accepted by herself for who she was, but also the man she would share her life with in her future. So please join me for part three of this conversation with my guest, Julie Sedler. In your book, you state, I was jealous of her, of the life she had, maybe even didn't want. And it got me thinking, like, this this section stood out to me. Like, I think many of us have been there. And it makes me think of, like, my younger self. And, you know, I wanted the life of this beautiful neighborhood girl because she was beautiful. She was more popular at school than I was. And I remember my mom said to me, her life isn't all you think it is. Like, not all things were good for her in her home. So if you want one thing, you have to take it all. And you continued, um, and I I love this so much because you stated, I don't want a marriage. I want a healthy marriage, and I'm willing to do the work to have one. I love this clarity. And it's like you eloquently stated to the universe, I want a healthy marriage. Well, I mean, I could see that the two of them didn't have a healthy marriage. If they did, there wouldn't have been room for me in there. And I obviously didn't have a healthy Mm -hmm. marriage because I ended up getting a divorce. So, um, like I said, it's that having that why, like it's one thing to state what you want, but having that why you want it is what's going to bring it about. So, you know, if you want something and it's really charged in ego, might not be the kind of thing that you can manifest, but if you want something and it's really deeply rooted in who you are and there's a reason why you want it and that's supportive of your growth, like that's what opens that up to coming to you. So yeah, it was definitely a moment of clarity because I didn't want to be that person who wanted to wish for them to break up so that I could sort of insert myself into that life because that wasn't necessarily a life that, that I would have picked for myself, right? That was the life that someone else Mm -hmm. had wanted and had designed. And that was on them to figure out how they were going to make that work. Um, And so that's when it really became clear to me, like, okay, this is kind of close to what I'm looking for, but not actually what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm actually looking for. I want this healthy marriage. I want this healthy partnership. I want a partner. I want somebody who really respects me. And I want to be free to be me. And I yes. think that was that was like the really important component that had been missing in all of these. So there's like a couple of moments through the book where like, I talk about, you know, ending things with my husband who became my ex-husband. And then I have these little like slivers of like meeting people and they're not quite right. And then I finally get to the, to the end and I meet someone and I like super overthink it. Like, oh my God, because I had have all of these like sort of non-starters. And if I hadn't had that in my mind, that clarity of what it was that I wanted, I might have had the same thing happen again with that non-starter. So if you're talking about how to actually take action steps to make things happen, 
that clarity needs to come first because how will you evaluate any opportunities that come to you if you're unclear on what the right opportunity would be for you. And so again, in my program, I can walk people through how to do that. And I, I do it in that order. Like once you start saying what it is that you want, the universe wants to conspire to bring that to you. Add or better. I would like this or better. <laughs> um, so that yeah. you can get get what it is that you're looking for um, and leave, leave, leave room for magic. But it starts with the, I want this, because, um, and there are a lot of people who miss that step or don't want to put effort into that step. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that that's actually really important. Yeah. And you, it's like you entered a section of this book and it's like you entered the new year with this calm. Like I could feel when I got to this section of your book, I could feel like the shift on the page. And I felt like there's this growth from feeling tense, anxious, oh my God, I need to overthink everything to this more tranquil serenity that came through as you wrote, if it is right, let it be right. If it isn't, help me let it go. <laughs> and yet you remain maintain this level of humanness when you stated, how much validation do I need to trust? <laughs> Well, and that's like the constant back and forth in my head, which I think you see on the page with being privy to my inner thoughts. Like I do go back and forth a lot. And then I'll ask myself, I was chatting with my friend at that time and we were like, okay, I need a signier sign. Like I see that I asked for a sign and I got a sign, but can you send me like a signier sign so that I don't miss the sign that you sent? Um and yeah, I would say definitely like I relaxed a lot. And and again, that I think that comes down to the confidence that we talked about and the confidence comes down to those little moments of self-trust and building that within yourself so that you can be confident. So like it, it seems like this daunting thing, like, oh, you achieved this level of calmness. How did you do that? Well, I had this self-confidence. How did you do that? Like I, we're constantly breaking it down. The big things yeah. don't just build themselves. We build them up with the smaller things and then it adds up collectively to something bigger. So, um, you know, there's a reason why this book takes place over the course of just over three years is it takes time to build to something that big. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, but yeah, there was a, there's a beauty. I have a, this like a sort of obsession with New Year's Eve and like this idea of like wiping the slate clean and like starting over magically the next day, even though like you're still the same person and probably even like a little hungover the next <laughs> right. day. Um, right. but it feels like this magical time where like anything can happen and I can like put, so I put, always put a lot of effort into like thinking about how I want my next year to be and like the self-reflection. And so I've got some, um, posts coming up on Instagram where I kind of walk people through my process of how I do that, how I, how I hold myself through prepping for that year ahead. And it's not like new year, new me. It's more like, what am I looking to get out of the year ahead so that I'm yeah. using my time effectively? I don't want to say wasting my time because there's can be fun to waste your time doing fun stuff. Um, so I, I yeah. really don't like the word waste. I want to use my time effectively because I don't have a ton of it where I get to ch pick and choose where it goes and what it goes to. So when I do get that, I, I want it to go to something that's going to 
get traction and go somewhere and do something so that I feel like I'm pouring into a, a, a cup that's getting filled as opposed to pouring into a bucket with a gigantic hole at the bottom of it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from our guest, Julie, as she gets real and honest about her debate on staying or leaving a marriage that was not working anymore. Brutal facts of my reality. This is the way this is. And then asking myself, is it that you want to stay here even though you're in pain because you don't believe that there could be something better if you go somewhere else? And I think I talk about that at the beginning of the book, like the, the terrible that I know I can sustain is better than the terrible or whatever that I don't know what's coming, this uncertainty. To stand out on social media and the internet for a business to grow, you need branding images that help express who you are and what you represent. Being a driven business owner, you already know your audience needs to see your brand to show up on a regular basis before they'll trust you enough to work with you. If your current messaging is inconsistent and lacks cohesiveness, then your customers will scroll past instead of clicking and look more into what you have to offer. With a branding photo session with Girl Boss Photography, you can tell your story through images. Utilizing those images in your marketing and content strategy will enhance your appearance and help build a connection to your existing and potential clients. Girl Boss Photography loves working with small and medium-sized businesses to help them build a strong visual brand. By partnering with creative entrepreneurs and listening to their goals, Girl Boss Photography curates a branding session that will tell the story of who you are, what you do, and how you are there to help your clients. If you're wanting to grow your business, improve your online presence, contact Girl Boss Photography to find out more about your options with their branding packages. You can send a message on Instagram at girl.boss.photography today. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We're going to continue our conversation with Julie, and she shares the importance of having a support system. And that support system will help you recognize that you don't have to live in fear. And the right people will guide you on seeking the life you desire. Yeah. And in your book, you state, I'm scared if I leave, I will never see him again. And I believe there's an endless amount of women who stay in a place that brings us so much discomfort and unhappiness because we are so worried that the person we're hung up on and need to move away won't be in our lives yet they're not in our lives and we're not getting from what we want from that dynamic and yet we stay how did it feel to state that truth to yourself i had to take a drink of water before i dove into that so that i could talk <laughs> and talk and talk and talk um it it's i uh, there's this book called good to great and in that one of the tenants is that we have to confront the brutal facts of our reality. And it was like that. It was mm -hmm. confronting the brutal facts of our reality because at the point where I'm like, okay, I have to leave and I'm afraid if I leave that I won't ever see him again. The point of that was he's not talking to me. It's like I don't exist. What am I gaining out of staying here and just being in proximity yes. 
even though there's no there's no relationship and so it was like like ripping a band-aid off no anesthesia brutal facts of my reality this is the way this is and then asking myself is it that you want to stay here even though you're in pain because you don't believe that there could be something better if you go somewhere else and I think I talk about that at the beginning of the book, like the, the terrible that I know I can sustain is better than the terrible or whatever that I don't know what's coming, this uncertainty of what will be if I make a change. Yeah. And so that's sort of a recurring theme throughout the book. Like, okay, if I do this thing and I leave this place where I know I don't want to be like, I, I know I don't want to be here. Am I going to be okay? am I going to die? Basically the whole question is, am I going right. to be okay? Yeah. Am I going to die? And then consistently proving yeah. to myself, you're going to be okay. You're not going to die. And it gets to be better. Like it gets to be happy. It gets to be supportive. It gets to be loving. And it was hard. It's hard to be that honest with yourself. It gets easier to be that honest with yourself when you take those little steps and you prove to yourself that I'm not going to die. I'm going to be okay. And you sort of like do those reps and like build that muscle. So I will say that like it gets easier, but like the first time, like you don't just get off the couch and then immediately run a 5k. Like you get off the couch and you like take some laps around the block first. Like you work up to the 5k, you work up to the gigantic marathon. Um, and that was how yeah. I worked my way up to that. So you'll notice that's like the last big thing that I do. That's like the last, like that was the last cord I kind of had to cut. And I was like, so scared of cutting that cord. But it had been like, it had been a non-starter for a long time. And I just had to be honest with myself. So it's hard. It hurts. It's painful. Yeah. It wasn't as bad once I put it in motion and I, I did it. Like the excitement of going to a new place, the excitement of being in a new job eventually overshadowed the sadness of not being in that place anymore. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that that would happen until it happened. And then I could be like, okay. And then it was sort yeah. of like two things are true at once. Like I can be sad that this isn't here anymore, but I can also be happy that I have these new things in my life and that this is where my life is going and that this is what I wanted and it's here and I get to enjoy it and I get to do all the things that I wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, I would, if I was going to tell someone it's worth it to be honest with yourself, it's worth it to it's like a gift to yourself but it's hard it's not an easy thing to do and so you can work up to it you can like you can like take like yeah. little baby steps about like be honest about like okay how do i how do i actually feel when someone speaks to me like this as opposed to how would i feel if i left how, and, and then how do I, how do right. I want to feel? How, how do I want to feel when people talk to me? How do I want people to talk to me? Okay. Do, do the people in my life talk to me like that? Okay. Why, why not? Right. How do I want to yeah. feel when I'm in a room with someone? Do I feel that way about these people? Why or why not? Like you can like, there's like, there's segments that you can do and leaving is hard. Leaving is really hard and that's uh, statistically right. proven that it takes like seven times for people to leave abusive relationships before it actually works out for them to leave. And that's heartbreaking and terrifying because every time you try and it doesn't work out, 
what happens next. And that is truly terrifying. So I don't mm-hmm. want to take away from that because yeah. that's real and that's scary. And I wasn't in that situation. Um, but what I have found is it's the, it's the little steps and there is a, definitely a reason why. Um, and there are lots of resources out there to help people who are in bad situations. Please, if you're reading this and you are there, please find, find your resources, get your support because it can be better and it's supposed to be better. You're not supposed to be in fear and be in those places. And my heart just goes out to people who are there because the place where I was, was terrifying. And I can't imagine it being worse than that. And so that it hurts my heart to think about it being worse for other people. Yeah. I've noticed on, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I had it on while I was baking some cookies and there's a new commercial by, I believe it's Perina that has created a program and funding for people who are in abusive relationship with pets and they help you get out so you can stay with your pet. And I, I really applaud. Because pets are family too. Yes. And you know, you need, you need your comfort around you when you're when you get when you finally get to a place where you are able to leave your body which has been in this survival mode is going to finally like take a deep breath and like let that deep breath out and yes. start to relax mm-hmm. because your body isn't supposed to be in that fight or flight state sustained it's not supposed to be there so when yeah. you finally are able to relax like you need your comfort you need your pet you need those um things around you to help calm your own nervous system so that's really i Mm -hmm. i don't watch tv with commercials either so i haven't seen that but that's amazing and i'm glad because you do need that it's important it's important part of healing Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and speaking of healing it seems like during this entire book you are dealing with different levels of grief during this entire process griefing of losing a marriage grief of losing a relationship that never never should have been but still that's hard grief of letting go of your old self like it's just like bam 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 how did you process all these different levels of grief that just kept coming to you did I did I process them well? I'm not sure. I think that's sort of open to interpretation. Um, I think there, in some ways, like I'm still I'm still processing things. Like I still have things come up from from my marriage or from other relationships where I'm I'm still working through stuff. Like healing comes in layers. You're never yeah. done healing. It's it's always ongoing. Um, but in terms of the grief, like to answer your question about the grief, uh. I don't know if before this I had ever really allowed myself an opportunity to grieve for something <clears throat> and that I would like stuff all of those feelings and all of those emotions down. And so in this second book that I'm working on writing, I actually revisited places of grief since now I have some experience with moving through grief and I, it like opened floodgates. Like I had to like process it and move it through my body and I had to um, amend like my writing process a little bit to, to open up to that. Everyone is going to process their grief a little bit differently, but everyone is ultimately going to grieve at some point about something on some level. And so when I don't really feel like as a society, we're great about acknowledging that grief exists 
and that it's something that needs to be worked through and mm-hmm. moved through and allowing people like support and resources to help them move through their grief in their own way. Um, and I think like as a society, we really sort of expect people to like get over it, like get over it already, like move on to the next thing. Um, and I think in my book, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I got divorced, I'm separated. Like, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to date and I'm going to find somebody. And then COVID happens and there's lockdowns. And I'm like, I can't go and do the thing that I just assumed that I would do. Now I have to actually sit here in this and like deal with it. Um, so in, in a way, like I really think the universe like conspired, like, yeah, no, you're not going to go do the same stuff over and over again. Like we put you in this place so that you would actually get to a new level. I mean, I always had a choice. And I think that was the thing. Like you talked about this relationship that should have never been. Um, I actually don't agree with that. I do think that it was a very faded relationship, but I also think that he had a choice and he made it and I wasn't that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and so really I was sort of grieving that, like, I'm not that I wasn't picked. Um, and for someone with like that Meredith Grey, yeah. pick me, choose me, love me energy, I was like, oh, like devastated. Right. Um, yeah. But course. again, like working through that and being like, okay, what did I actually like about that relationship? And how much of it was that I wanted someone to save me? And how much of it was showing me, you know, that things could be better. So I took all of those elements and I took the things that I really liked and I really wanted. And then I had to be really honest with mm-hmm these things were kind of grimy and gross and I don't actually want that. So if I'm talking about the kind of partner that I do want here are the things that I'm looking for. Um, but there's, there were like one or two months that were particularly hard in terms of grief. And I mostly just really welcomed the pandemic because I couldn't really go and see anyone. So I just really spent a lot of time in my house by myself, crying, taking warm baths, um, eating pears in, in, my acupuncturist had told me that in traditional Chinese medicine, pears support the grieving process. I just ate like this boatload oh, wow. of pears. Um, like basically <laughs> yeah. anything, anything that I could get to like help me, help me move through it. But yeah. I would, you know, get in the bathtub and I would just cry or I would go to the acupuncture appointment and I would just cry. And I really, I got really comfortable in my body crying and that was the biggest thing for me in processing grief and um in human in my human design um i've learned that part of me really doesn't do well when my own expectations aren't met so part of my grieving process is actually having to learn to be okay but i had this expectation and it didn't get met and now i'm disappointed and i can grieve that disappointment while still holding Mm -hmm. open this possibility that something better could come in. So like being okay with that, two things can be true. Um, But yeah, there's just, it's layers upon layers and it's figuring out whatever it is that works for you to move through it because everyone is different and every situation is different because you don't have the same relationship with every single person or thing in your life. Like your relationship with your pet is very different from your relationship with your mailman. So if your mailman suddenly (laughs) didn't have your root anymore, your grieving process would probably be very short. Whereas if your pet wasn't in your life anymore, you'd be devastated. 
that's I have right. this theory of like these circles of grief and like how your the relationship is connected to you is directly related to how that grief is going to impact you when that relationship changes or goes away. And um, hopefully that can be something in the future. But I think that's the most important thing is that everybody's relationship is individual and no one else knows what your relationship, like, I don't know what your relationship is with your mailman. So I could make some inferences that you <laughs> don't really have one, but I don't know. And therefore I can't comment on your grieving process when said mailman is no longer in your life, because I don't know what your relationship is. And I think so many people right. want to assume that we know what your relationship is and we know what your grieving process should look like, but that's not the case. And so that's why I like, you know, some people lose their husband, some women lose their husbands and they don't really grieve because their marriage or their relationship hasn't been great. And maybe secretly on the inside, mm -hmm. they're happy mm -hmm. to be free of that relationship. Yeah. But society wants to say, well, you were married for 50 years. You should be devastated that your life partner is gone now. Well, you know what? He yeah. was really awful to me for 45 of those 50 years. I'm actually really happy right. that I don't have to deal with that anymore. Or two things could be true. Like, I'm sad that I'm alone, but also happy that I'm not hurting anyone. Like, all those things. We yes. don't know what we don't know. So I right. think it has come down to that. Like, that was a big realization for me in terms of grief was just, what is this? allowing myself to acknowledge it and to move through it. And then sort of that recognition that, oh, this is why it's different for everyone. It's because of mm -hmm. these elements of these relationships. Yeah. And you state, I was brave to stare at, stare at something and say, this isn't for me. I walked away from something that didn't fit. And that is something to be proud of. I think so often that fear, concern, worry of judgment holds us back but it's really empowering to walk away from something that isn't a fit and accept and recognize that we don't need to do something to try and make other people happy when it is not adding value to our own lives. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I can say it any better than that. Um, being okay with looking at something and saying it's not for me, as opposed to f trying to force it to be for me because it was there yeah, that was a big lesson. And that I think is really chronicled throughout this book as I finally get to that point where I'm like, okay, just because this opportunity is here doesn't mean that I have to take it. It doesn't mean that it is right for me. It doesn't mean anything unless I give it meaning. And the mm -hmm. way that I give it meaning is by understanding what I want, why I want it and how I'm going to go after it. And so being able to evaluate that, I mean, it really, being able to evaluate an opportunity like that takes the emotion out of it of, I should do this. I should make this happen. I should go after this because there's judgment, because I'm of this age, because I should, I'm a woman of childbearing age, so I should be having babies. Maybe you don't want babies. Um, and I think that's a big conversation right now for women is this um, child free by choice, right. becoming more and more of an option for people and recognizing that it is an option and that it always was an option. We were just sort mm -hmm. of pigeonholed into these places where we felt like we had to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think more than anything, it's, it's understanding what makes a good opportunity for you. 
uh, allows you the space to say, this isn't for me. This isn't aligned. I can walk away from that. Um, Cause I definitely have had times in my life where I've had that, the, the power of the should, and I took opportunities, even though I knew in my heart that it wasn't the right thing for me. Um, and it didn't end up, it didn't work out. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talk about what would you do if you didn't have to worry about money? And without hesitation, you stated, I'd be a writer. And then you share that your guy came to you about your goal as a writer and very much called you out on not doing enough to be a writer. And during this interaction, you said how you were trying but it seems like your guide really wasn't having it. And she got pretty, your guy got pretty direct with you and said, but are you doing the fucking work? Yep. <laughs> and it, yep. it kind of sounds like it was a kick in the ass you needed to get your butt in the chair and write. Was a book in progress at this stage or were you still just journaling on a regular basis? Um, it, I was at the point where I think I mentioned before, like I was like starting to outline things. Like I have, I had, um, I love post-it notes. So I had like this point where I have like a million post-it notes all over my, my kids weren't here that weekend. So I was like, took the, over the whole downstairs and I have like millions of post-it notes and I'm like effectively storyboarding, I guess, but not really, not really. And I hadn't actually written anything. Like I hadn't even like opened a word document like that. And so, yeah, I mean, she was justified. She was justified. <laughs> and that's why, like, I bolted out of bed and I was like, okay, I'm not. I'm not. It's true. I'm not. And then the next day I was like, how do I even do this? And I like set the timer. I was like, dear diary, I had kale chips for lunch. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, and at that point I was like, okay, I need, I need like a prompt. Like I need to, I need to write something answering a question. And so then I would like come up like at first, like I would like search on the internet for questions like, okay, like what's a good writing prompt. And then after like a day or two, like I eased into it and I started to ask my own questions and then I started to answer my own questions and then it flowed through there. So like, <clears throat> just because I said, if I didn't have to worry about money, I'd be a writer. Doesn't mean that I just effortlessly <laughs> fell into writing. Like there's a process here. Um, yeah. and I was like, like I said, like kind of divinely guided like it would have been so much easier to give up would have been so much easier right. to be like i don't know what i'm doing so i'm just not gonna do it um it's the it's the bung, bung bungling around and like figuring it out that that takes you to the next level so don't give up on yourself if you're like oh, okay dear diary i had kale chips for lunch you can still do it right. you just need to be committed and to be committed you yeah. need to know why you're committed <clears throat> Yep. It goes back to the why it's extremely important. And when you hear people of levels of success, they always come back to that. The why, the why, the why, the why. Yeah. It's the motivating factor for sure. Because without mm -hmm. that, there's no reason to keep going. Yeah. And as we get, as I got deeper into the pages of your book, you had stated, I am more than what, ha what has happened. I am more than I chose to do in my past. I am not the same person I was then. And you continue by stating, what would I want my daughters to do if this were them? And I often wonder if parents recognize that their behavior is teaching that next generation of what is acceptable in their lives. So I, I think I recognize that 
as I was moving through all this, that like what I was doing was the direct example for my children. And then I started to look at like what was modeled for me. And I love my parents. They're great. They're very supportive. Um, And that's just to say everyone has something that has happened in their past. Like no, no two parents or no parents are like totally perfect. Like everybody comes out of childhood with something. Um, And so I have a great relationship with my parents, but it really, this did, I was like, okay, like where, where is this coming from? And so I would trace stuff back to like what had happened to me in my childhood. And then I recognized that I would be able to rewrite that. And in rewriting that uh, editing, in editing my story, I was going to provide this example to my kids. And so, um, really like that, that segment right there, um, I'm, I'm more than what's happened. Like I really, I really struggled with the fact that like I wanted him and her to like break out, like for a while there, like I wanted that life. Like I wanted to insert myself. And part of it was like wanting to be saved. Like, this is really hard. I need someone to come in and help me do this. Like I'm not strong enough. Um, and like, as I moved through that and I realized that I was strong enough to, to do what I was doing and to move forward, I started to be like, okay, like, I don't want to be this person that's wishing for this because wishing for me to be in that means that I'm wishing for them to break up. And like, I, I really struggled with the morality of what was going on and what I had done. And I never thought that I would be the person who would do that. And so then I'm like, okay, just because I made a mistake doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It means that I made a mistake what do I do after the mistake? That's what makes me who I am. Recognizing that I made it, that that wasn't a great choice, understanding why I made the choice and then making changes in my life so that I wouldn't be in a place to make those choices again. Like those were the things to me that I wanted to teach my children. I had a lot of um, fear of failure as a child for whatever reason. And it's not necessarily all down to my parents. Like a lot of it was just like my internalization of, I cannot fail. Failing is not an option, which meant that everything had to be right. The first time, everything had to be perfect the first time. And then slowly throughout my life, recognizing that very few people get it right on the first try a hundred percent, exactly the way they want it. And life is actually really open to not getting it right tinkering with it, doing it again, figuring out what happens, you know, that sort of feedback loop. That's when I recognized, okay, I want to show my kids there's a feedback loop and it's okay not to get it right, but it's what you do after Mm -hmm. that. It's the reflection to say that isn't what I wanted. What am I going to do next? Like that's what keeps you moving in life. Like to me, that's what makes you successful is looking back on what's happened and then choosing to do something different and then doing it, like following through and doing it and moving yourself forward. So I am more than what happened in the past. I am more than the decisions that I made. I yeah. am not a good or a bad person based on those. I'm the person I am because of what happened and what I chose to do after that. As I got deeper into your book, you said something that I I want personally want to be carrying with me. And you state, if I want to know, I'm going to have to be more direct. That will mean I will have to be brave. How hard was it for you to be brave? 
Okay, well, we, we've already... We've already scratched at the surface of this that I always feel terrified. <laughs> I never feel brave <laughs> in the moment, for sure. Um, yeah. I feel like it's that it's that um, energy of like sort of overcoming that we've talked about before, where it takes more effort to get to the like. I, once it comes out, or like once I'm in it, like I I do it, like I follow through. I I know that it's gonna happen, and I'm gonna hold myself. It's the it's the moments leading up to it where like my anxiety is trying to kick in, and my mind's like trying to keep me safe and um, do the things that I've done before because I know that I can handle that. You know, going to all of those places. So how hard is it to be brave? It's terif it's terrifying for me, but for some reason. I get to this point where I'm just going to explode unless I do it. And then I do it. And then it's all downhill from there. And I, I think there are people out there who feel yeah. that way. Like there's a buildup and then it's like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Okay. That I, I did it. I'm okay. Um, but yeah, I just, that whole sentence where like, if I want to know, I'm going to have to ask. And for me, the asking is the hard part. That's the part where I need to be right. brave. So I think I've just learned enough. I just have enough experience collected to know that once I have the ability to ask, to verbalize, then I'm going to know and it's all going to be downhill and it's going to be okay. And and what either I'm going to get back an answer or I'm not. And that is an answer. Sometimes no response is a response. Um, and so that right. it was getting, getting to that point of like, okay, like, you know, he wouldn't talk to me. That's no response, but that is a response. I'm not speaking to you anymore. And I, and then I was like, okay, right. like for sure, mm -hmm. this is like, we work together. Like you're gonna, you're gonna talk to me in a professional situation. No, seriously, straight up. Like I would walk into a room and he would turn around and he would walk the other way. I'm going to pretend like you don't exist no response is a response. There's, there is no relationship here anymore whatsoever. Um, right. And sometimes it hurts. Like there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no, there's no happy around it. Sometimes it just is what it is. And it's confronting the brutal facts of your reality, but now, you know, and then for me, it was always, okay, once I know now, now I have to do something with this information. And that was kind of the thing that like propelled right. me forward. Like, okay, I have more information. Now I can do more with that. Um, maybe that's a lot of Virgo energy in yeah. my, in myself where I'm like, okay, I have more information. I can do this and crunch the numbers. And, right. uh, but if I'm thinking about other people who aren't me, uh, I would say it's that, it's that psyching yourself out leading up to it like that's the part that you need to really get over because once it all comes out once you initiate it is it, it is a downhill slide and it doesn't take as much effort and you've kind of gotten it out there and sometimes you know i felt like things were going to be really hard or be a difficult conversation and i just needed to open the space and then someone else is like oh my gosh thank gosh i was feeling the same way and actually i've had that happen like around holiday gifts where I'm like, Hey, you know, would you be okay if we just didn't exchange anything this year? Oh, yeah. Like, so like, I, and, and sometimes like, it's not even about spending the money for me. It was about like the preparation and the going out and the figuring out what to get. And then the, then the getting it and then the wrapping it and then the finding the time to give it to them. That was too overwhelming. It wasn't right. the gift itself. It was all the things that went into the gift. And so for someone else to be like, 
thank you. I don't have the capacity to do that either. And we could kind of like look at each other and be like, I am your friend. I appreciate you. Can that just be enough of a gift this year? And then for both people to be like, yes, that is good. We can move on. Like, it's like that. Like you never know until you know. And sometimes you do get those moments where it's like, thank you. I was, I didn't know how to broach this. Um, And I think sometimes like that, that cements like a relationship with someone. Like they're like, okay, this person can be real with me. I can be real with them too. Um, so that's a, an exciting place to be, but you don't know that in, until you have that moment of bravery and it's terrifying for me. Right. <laughs> and I, and I've learned like, I don't need more stuff and my friends don't need more stuff. And I've gotten right. to a point where I'm like, I'd rather take you to lunch and spend time with you than give you stuff that you don't, that, no, let, let's just go spend time together. In your book, you state, I deserve love, real love, the love that comes after healing, the love that comes when I love myself first. And I, as I read your book from the beginning of the pages of the book into getting into the depths of the chapters, you are always talking about self-love. And I appreciated it as it shows that people who read this are going to be given a gift of seeing that self-love does not happen overnight. Are you still working on loving yourself or do you feel with practice it has gotten easier? Um, that's such an interesting question. I obviously, yes, I'm still working on loving myself. I think there are lots of different layers to loving yourself. So it's like, um, next level unlocked. So there's that, there's that aspect of it. So like you, you start where you start and then you sort of move through as you move through. But then also like, does it get easier to love yourself? I, I don't know that that's the word I would use. I think for me, what has happened is, I'm more aware of how much time and energy and effort I'm putting into loving myself. Like I actually put time, effort, and energy into loving myself as to before the events that happened in the book that I really wasn't putting awareness or time or effort or energy into caring for myself or loving myself or providing for myself. Um, I was really very much operating on autopilot and, um, what you don't see because of where the book starts is you don't see the little tiny baby steps that I took to get to where I was at the point where the book kind of jumps off from. And so I had already been doing some things um, and putting, putting some awareness to it, putting some time and energy into it, prioritizing certain things that made me feel good, um, trying to set boundaries and maybe being successful, maybe not being successful. So I think, does it get easier? I don't know, but I do know that I have put more intention behind it. And I think that's, I think that's important for people to recognize, um, that it comes down to that, putting, putting intention towards loving yourself as opposed to whether or not it gets easier. In your book, you state, how can I set myself up for success? I was reminded that I was walking this path to get rid of the generational patterns and limiting beliefs I had. I could do the healing work. I, I personally feel breaking general, generational, goodness, that word is hard. Generational patterns are incredibly important. Was this where maybe you realized you needed to 
reparent yourself to be a healthier, gentler parent for your own kids? I don't know at what point it was that I realized it, but like I was very aware, even from the very beginning of the book, that I wasn't the parent that I wanted to be. And almost like I expected more out of myself and I just wasn't able to give it. And then as I really dive into this journey and I start like extricating myself from spaces and situations that weren't serving me and weren't serving my family um, and start sort of like opening up my, my mind to like other possibilities. That's when I realized like, okay, I'm not healthy. I'm not happy. I'm not modeling either of those things for my kids. And that's not what I want from them. And they're still young enough that we have a long road ahead of us. Like I have, it's not worthless to go down this path. Not that it ever would have been, but like we, I still had a lot of parenting journey ahead of me and I really needed to do something differently. Um, and most of that came down to being like, I, I do need to be gentler. I do, but to be gentler, like that's the thing is like, you don't realize to be the parent that you want to be means reparenting yourself so that you feel secure in your own self. Um, so I, I never like set out to be on that path other than I got to do better by my kids. And that sort of big conversation that I have with my husband at the beginning of the book was really, that was my why I have to do better by my kids. I didn't know any of the other things that were going to fall out of that. Um, so that just really, I, I, I think one of the biggest things about this book is like, I stumble into things like purely by intuition or just purely by, I don't want to say chance or luck, like, cause I do have an element of choice and I do, I do choose these things, but like there were, it was very well orchestrated by the universe to be in this place at this time, doing this thing <clears throat> that kind of moves me through this path. Um, in terms of like understanding what I was doing, it wasn't until I went back to the beginning and started writing it. I was like, wow, this all really comes together. Um, so I don't know that I can really answer that question other than it is really important. You, you have to work on yourself before you can really model that for your kids. At least that's what I found to be true. Right. I really right. had to work on myself before I could be that kind of person for my kids. I had to have some sort of experience yeah. that I could teach from. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you talk about pain is hard. It doesn't feel good and I don't like it, but it does serve a purpose. What purpose did the pain serve for you in your life? It really made me wake up. It was the th like I was, I said it before wow. and I'll say it again. I was walking around on autopilot and eventually it was too painful to be walking around on autopilot. And so what I found was the pain was telling me something and it was whether or not I was willing to listen to it and to go deeper and to not hold judgment on it, not to say, I'm in this space. I have a partner. I have a house. I have two kids. I have two cars. I have a job. Like my life is fine. But to say, I have these things, but are they serving me? I have these things, but am I thriving? Am I doing okay? Am I the parent I wanted to be? And to not hold judgment where you should be totally happy with this. You have a comfortable life. There are plenty of people out there who don't have a comfortable life. It was, it was my, it's my life. 
what is working for me. And so in that regard, like my pain taught me almost that it was okay to be a little bit selfish because in being selfish, I was able to give, I was able to give more. Once I took care of myself, then I was able to give more of myself. And that was what was really important to me. I have to do better by my kids, right? Like that was really the why driving all of these decisions. I, there was no way I was going to be able to do better by my kids without doing better for myself. I just, it wasn't there to give it. And so that's, that's what happened. That was the purpose of the pain was to move me into that direction (laughs) of, no one else is going to take care of me, but me, how do I even do that? Right. What does that even look like? And then once I've yeah. done that, now my cup is full and I can give to the people. And then the d- d- discernment of these are the people in my life that I want to give to. These are the people in my life that I want to establish and maintain relationships with no one else. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was telling me I needed to listen. It was telling me a really important lesson and being able to hold space for that without judging myself. And I do judge myself. I think you will find in the book, like I have really high expectations for myself and I wonder why am I not getting this? Why am I not moving faster? Why am I not doing the same things everyone else is doing? Um, Cause I couldn't, you can't run if you don't know mm-hmm. how to crawl. I just needed to right. start where start right where I was and then work my way up to it. So there were a lot of things that came out of that pain, but the most important thing was to listen to it because it was telling me something. Right. And you talk about like the trapeze artist, she has to let go of the ring she is on to catch the one she wants to get to. Letting go of that hold as you are swinging through the air is hard. And trusting yourself that you're going to be okay is hard. What would you say to someone who is in that predicament, who needs to let go? If I knew how to let go, I would have done it already. I mean, I think I say that verbatim in the book. Um, And it's just... I think sometimes it makes it easier to let go of what you're holding on to if you know what you're moving to. So if we're talking about the metaphor of a trapeze artist, she doesn't just let go of the rung that she's on. She lets go of the rung that she's on in support of moving to the rung that she wants to get to. And she doesn't just let go at any old time. She lets go when the time is right and she's aligned with the thing that she's working on. So again, we're talking about intent. We're talking about vision. We're talking about a why. I'm not just letting go of this old thing for no good reason. I'm letting go of this thing because I'm moving on to something bigger, to something better, to something higher. And I'm aligned to it. I've, I've waited for the time to be right. And now I'm using that momentum to push me to the thing that I'm wanting to go to. It's really hard to just let go. And you don't really, there are very few people who just let go all at once. Like you kind of like pull back your fingers a little bit and then let go. There's a process to it. Um, it is hard. Like I want to be real. It is hard. And if people knew how to do it, like I said, we would have already done it by now. If you're in the middle of that and you want to let go and you don't understand why you can't let go yet, I would say to them, 
what are you wanting to move to? Because generally speaking, you probably don't know yet. And that's why you can't let it go. So just like I was talking about, you know, I, if I leave this job, I'm never going to see him again. Um, and then finally getting to the point where, okay, I'm leaving cause I'm going to this new job and that's really aligned to what I want to do. And I know what I want to do with like, I put a lot of effort into what exactly do I want out of a job? What am I looking for? Like I even, I made a laundry list. Like I had a list of boxes that I wanted to check and they all got checked and then some that or better was fulfilled. So without that, and you'll see that in other segments of the book where I'm like, okay, I'm going to need a new job. And I just sort of let it sit there. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any ideas of what I'm looking for. I just let it sit there. And it's a really vague concept. Um, there's no rung that I can move towards. I don't know exactly what it is I want. So I'm just swinging back and forth on the rung that I'm on because there's no rung for me to move to. So it's probably that if you're in the middle of that is probably because you lack clarity. And if you lack clarity, the good news is that's easily fixed. As long as you're willing to be honest with yourself about what that clarity looks like. (laughs) And I'm happy to help people move through that with like one-on-one sessions. Um, as part of the coursework that I'm developing, that's, um, that's, that's part of an offer that I've got going on. That's I'm looking to put out in 2024, but it's probably that you don't have, you, you're not moving to another rung because there's no rung for you to move to because you don't know what that rung looks like. Um, kind of like, like if you're playing like super Mario brothers, you know, you're kind of like moving through the screen, you can only see the screen from where you've moved to, as you move to the side, the screen, shifts and you see more and more and then all of a sudden you get to the end and you hit the little thing and the flag goes up and you've completed the level it if you don't move mario the screen doesn't move so you have to know which Mm -hmm. way you want to go and if you move back the other way you move back the other way you don't move forward that's so beautifully powerful you talk about you brought back an old tradition of making a wish list for yourself And you state, I made the list because I felt like I needed other people to buy them for me. I felt like I couldn't just go buy something for myself if I didn't earn it. Now my wish list was made up of things like experiences, meaningful jewelry, jewelry, books and classes, all the things that made my life feel more special or organized. And if I don't get what I want, I can go buy it for myself at any time. This felt to me like it was a breakthrough moment. Do you still create your list? And what words of advice would you give for someone who's listening? I love um, my list. Who doesn't even realize they deserve to create a list for themselves. Oh, that's such a good question. Yes, of course. I still make my lists. I, I have lists are my life. So there are lots of different lists going on in my life. Um, but every year I make a little wish list because there's always people in my life who who want to know genuinely, like, what do you want? So I, I and I think that's not like unique to me. I think almost everyone out there has people in their life who want to know what they want. And um, one of the best things I learned from those ladies who helped me with the career coaching was people want to help you and they can't help you unless you know what you want, know what your ask is. And so I think that's the best thing that I could tell someone is everyone has an ask, whether you're honest about it or not, you, there, there are things that you want innately inside of you and you have an ask. The more articulate you can be about that, 
the better the chance that that rung from the trapeze artist appears and that you have a place to move to. Someone comes into the picture who can help you fulfill that ask. Um, the important part is that it's you can verbalize it or you can access it and share it with someone. And so in that regard, I think everyone deserves to have a list because everyone has an ask. It's just whether or not you've given attention to actually writing it down or having it in your head, whatever it looks like. Um, everyone deserves to have that because everyone has some level of something that they want. Next week, we wrap up our conversation with Julie Sudler. There's still more to share about her book, her story, and what is ahead for her. And you can find her book, Watch Me, on Amazon. I appreciate you listening to Journey to the Rise. I hope you give us a follow on your podcast app so you have the latest episode downloaded. If you would like to head on over to Instagram, you can find our account at Journey to the Rise Podcast. This episode was researched, produced, and edited by Girl Boss Productions. And please remember to be kind to yourself. When you're kind to you, it is easier to be kind to others because you can't hate yourself into a version you love. You are worth more than you think. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise. <laughs>